All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to another fabulous President's Day edition. Is it President's Day weekend? Yes. Edition of Kabbalah Cafe. This is where we get our Kabbalistic jolt for the week. Um, start off the week right with a little Kabbalah, a little inspiration, and a lot of spirituality, Jewish spirituality. So today what we're going to do is, our topic is the heel, a spiritual saga. And we're going to talk about the heel from a, a Jewish perspective, but from a specifically from a Kabbalistic perspective as well. We're going to learn a piece of Talmud um, that is absolutely mind-blowing, and uh, we'll, put, we'll put all this stuff together and hopefully come away with uh, some inspo for our own lives. Oded, good to see you. Good morning. Oded, on a scale of 1 to 10, how is this breakfast this morning? 11. 11. There you have it. This was not a setup. This was not a plant. Um, hey, how's it going? Good to see you, Peter. How's the breakfast? Most excellent. Excellent. Good. Good, good, good. Okay, so I'm going to pull up. Okay, so here we go. Let's pass these around. I'm going to pull it up on Zoom as well. So just hang tight. Please take, please take and pass. Please take and pass. We've got a little bit of a gulf here. So I'm actually going to give a few extra to pass around that way and just kind of allocate them around for when the folks return from the breakfast. Um, okay, here we go. We have with us. Um, a source sheet that contains a lot of uh, references to heels. And we're going to put this together and co hopefully come away with uh, some actionable inspiration. All right, so hang tight, and here we go. All right, Cafe, uh, Kabbalah Cafe, Spiritual Surrender. This is our fourth handout supplementary text. Our right, heel grab. The first mention of heel that we're going to explore is perhaps, I don't know, perhaps the most famous one which is the verse that speaks about the birth of the twins. Mm -hmm. We've established many times in this class, the twins are called woommates. <laughs> oh my gosh, I cannot believe you guys still laugh at that joke. <laughs> Kidding, no one laughed. All right, so twins. So the twins are born to Rebecca, right? Rebecca marries Isaac. Isaac and Rebecca pray for children. They're blessed with children and they have twins. Rebecca is struggling with her pregnancy. And, oh, before they know they have twins, she's struggling with the pregnancy, and she is pained. She goes to the prophet, to the oracle. The oracle says, you have twins. And, uh, and, 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 okay, and that's it. And then, so the first one is born, and the second one is born, and let's read the, the, uh, the text from the book of Genesis. He'll grab. Rebecca's days to give birth were completed. And behold, there were twins in her, in her womb. Here you go. Oh, I got you covered. The first one emerged ruddy. Ruddy, what's ruddy? Uh, it's dark, dark. Rud is ready? Ready is rud? It's like rusty. Rud, red-ish. English. But it's brownish. Red. English? Like when they say like, oh, ruddy. Is that, a th is that a, I interesting? I thought they meant like Paul Rudd. Is that his name? Yeah. It's the actor, right? Yeah. Jewish guy. Paul Rudd. Yeah. Anyway. All right, good. So Rebecca's days to give birth were completed. Behold, there were twins in her womb. The first one emerged ruddy. He was completely like a coat of hair, and they named him Esau. Okay, so that is the famous, maybe infamous, Esau, the birth of Esau. And afterwards, the Torah says, his brother emerged, and his hand was grasping Esau's heel, and he named him Jacob. Now, why did he name him Jacob? First of all, Esau, Esau, 
is, uh, is, is, is related to the word. Um, what is Esav related? What is Esav? What's the etymology of the word Esav? Esav. Does the Torah say? Seir, is it about hair? Hairy, he's hairy. Sa'ar, Esav. Okay, hair, he's hairy. What about Yaakov? Again, the Hebrew, Jacob, is English. Yaakov in Hebrew, what's Yaakov? Yaakov is Ekev, or Akev, heel. Why is he called heel? Because when he's born, he is literally, according to the Torah, he's holding on to his brother's heel. He's like, wait for me. Right? I'm coming out also. I got you now. Now, what's fascinating is that our tradition tells us that he wasn't just holding on to his brother's heel. That's not the extent of it. It wasn't like some sort of weird, like, in utero uh, UFC fight. I think there was one last night. Right? It wasn't like some sort of, like, weird situation of just grabbing the heel. It was very specific and very intentional. You see, Yaakov... Jacob wanted to be the firstborn. I'm sure, you've, I'm sure you're familiar with the story and how everything plays out about this, this um, incredible drama that, is, that, that surrounds you know, who's older, who's younger, which, by the way, if you look throughout the book of Genesis, this seems to be a consistent theme throughout the book. Always younger and older brothers having conflict about the birth order. It's a little bit bananas. Think about it. I mean, the first two kids born, Cain and Abel, Right? Cain is the older brother. Abel is the younger brother. God prefers Abel's offering. Cain gets, je- he's upset and he's jealous and he's depressed. Why? My younger brother is outshining me. Boom. He kills him. And then you have um, Isaac and Ishmael. Again, older. Ishmael's older. Isaac is younger. There's a little conflict there. Jacob and Esau. You have the, the older brothers and Joseph. Right? You, ha- oh, you have consistently throughout the book of Genesis... You have a scenario where the younger sibling somehow gets some sort of preference and how that stirs jealousy, anger, hatred, all sorts of discord. The, the cycle finally breaks in the book of Exodus, right? So like, it's almost like Torah one point, like the first book is like, this is not a healthy, these are not healthy or ideal family dynamics. Finally, in Exodus, we see siblings working together even though the younger sibling is given preference. Of course, what I'm speaking of is Aaron and Moses. Aaron is the older brother. Moses is the younger brother. God appears to Moses at the burning bush. Right? Right? And God says to Moses, I want you to be the redeemer. Moses says, no, you got the wrong guy. For seven days, they go back and forth. Moses says, no, you got the wrong guy. Send the one whom you're going to send. And according to one interpretation, when he's really, I say, I can't speak. I'm not a man of words. Right? I, I'm not a man of words. What he, behind the, behind the, you know, between the lines, the sages understand this to mean that he was saying, I, let's stop this. Just, just appoint my older brother. Just appoint Aaron. Isn't that the one that said that it stopped when Jacob blessed Ephraim and Menashe and he switched between them and they had no problem with him favoring the young over the old? Yeah, but you, like the- I guess, I guess you see the precursor to that, right, by Ephraim and Menashe, where, right, right, Jacob switches his hands. He puts his right hand on the younger Joseph's two kids, on, on the younger boy's hand and the left hand, the, the weaker, less dominant hand, over the, over the older kid's head. And Joseph's like, are you kidding me? What are you doing, pops? Right? What are you doing, pops? Again? Again? You want to traumatize my kids now by favoring the younger over the older? Please. Please don't. Right? And we don't see that that, that creates a kerfuffle. We don't really know much 
about how that ends, but you're right. But we do see, but we also don't see that in their lifetime, the younger one was somehow given a position of power, leadership, prominence over the older one to the point that it would be in the, in the older one's face, as it were. Whereas you do see that when it comes to, um, when it comes to Moses and Aaron. Again, we do have that incident, obviously, the one that you mentioned about the, about the blessings and switching the hands, that's, that's certainly clear. Um, but with Moses and Aaron, literally this was going to be the one who was the face of, of Exodus. Like, who's going to be on the movie poster? <laughs> right? I mean, like, who gets the leading role? This is Moses. Right? Like, it reminds me of when I did our traveling, or not traveling, um, Exodus theater. Did it in Montreal and, and in Brooklyn back in the day. You guys didn't know, we were, it wasn't Broadway, it was off-Broadway, but very far off-Broadway. This is like way off-Broadway. It's not just like, it's not Broadway adjacent, this is like, we got miles from, this is like, okay, Broadway, okay, go to Broadway, and then find the highway, and then go out of the country, and then find Montreal, and then find the mall, Cavendish Mall, and then in the mall, find the storefront that just recently kind of went out of business and set up shop in there. But I played Moses, played the leading role. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Rabbi? Yes. Um, if uh, God said that uh, the firstborn always has the birthright or the spiritual lineage, why does he always make the young one have more of the power? Of good. The Maybe it's to test this whole dynamic. That's a good question. Right, so Yaakov's asking a good question. If the older one is supposed to, you know, the older one gets the birthright, etc., why isn't it that the older one is more prominent than the younger one? And I think maybe it's to provide this very challenge. In other words, will you all be able to, to handle a little bit of, uh, of shake-up? You know, can you handle it? Anyway, I, I, don't, I don't have a good answer other than that, but it's certainly God, the test. God doesn't give you an inheritance like that. For example, Moshe's two sons are nothing. Right. Okay, so Norm, right, that's why you're my left-hand guy. <laughs> literally, literally, that's why you're my guy. Um, so Norm is giving another answer, that, that maybe, although we talk about firstborn inheritance and rights, maybe you got to work for it. You got you to, maybe that's the lesson. Yeah. Just because you're firstborn and by, you know, on, on some measure, there are some things that would flow to you, mm-hmm. right? I mean, maybe that's just, you know, on a, on a material sense, but spiritual value, you know, uh, soul value, you gotta, you got you gotta work for it. But either way, either way, what we find is this idea that, you know, at the burning bush, God tells. Oh, sorry, let's get, let's let's go back to the text here. So Jacob, according to Jewish tradition, what was really going on? Oh, good to see you guys. Good to see you, Natan and Renata. We sometimes we see you on Zoom, but welcome now for the first time. Great to see you. All right. Um, Rabbi. Yeah, yeah. Um, in our lifetimes, is there such thing as a, uh, you know, besides the Pidion Haben, I mean, while we're alive, does the firstborn have a birthright? And also in my family, the firstborn died as a preemie, and I'm the oldest, but not the firstborn. So then what happens? So let's save that till after the class. Let's have a conversation about the specifics after the class, because I want to get back okay. to, this, uh, to this story about Yaakov and Esau, Jacob and Esau. What's happening here is really they're not, he's not just grabbing his heel. Right? The, folk, the theme today is about heels. He's not just grabbing Jacob, the young, the second born, is not just grabbing the heel of his brother. They're really struggling over who will be born first, who will have this coveted birthright. And it's the younger, you know, even in, even in, 
even in, well, I love how I started that sentence, even in pro wrestling, right? The, the villain is called the heel, even in, like, wow. All right, but what, what's the, what do you call the villain in pro wrestling? The heel, I don't think I'm wrong on this, right? The heel, guys, humor me, I could be wrong, it yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, I'm glad someone knows what I'm talking about. Right, the heel, the heel is like the villain, right? They play the foreboding music when they come out. Like everyone's boo, it's like, yeah, that's the heel. All right, whatever. So, so Jacob, Yaakov is literally called the heel. Yaakov means the heel. That's his nickname and his name. And why? Because he's holding on to the heel. But it's not just a physical movement or physical action. It's symbolic of something deeper, which we will get to. So th- and that's the first instance of heels in, well, at least in the written Torah that we see clearly. Now, let's look at the next piece on this handout. Again, we're, we're in the middle of this page, Right? You have it online as well. Heal reward. Heal reward. This now, we fast forward from the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Torah, to the book, to book number five, the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy says the following, and it will be. I decided to keep the whole, the whole paragraph here, even though it's like three verses, four verses, but it's, it's nice. And it will be, because you will heed these ordinances and keep them and perform, that the Lord your God will keep you Sorry, we'll keep for you the covenant and the kindness that he swore to your forefathers. So in this verse, the Torah, the Torah is kind of saying we have a little bit of a transactional situation here, right? It's when you keep the mitzvot that God will keep you and, and keep the covenant that he swore to your forefathers. Okay, let's continue. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your soil, your grain, your wine and your oil the offspring of your cattle and the choice of your flocks in the land which he swore to your forefathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There will be no sterile male or barren female among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will remove from you all illness and all of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew he will not set upon you, but he will lay them upon all your enemies. That is Deuteronomy 7, 12, verses 12 through 15. And again, all of these blessings, the physical blessings and the goodness and all that stuff, is all tied to that opening sentence, the opening verse. And it will be, I'm starting again, because you will heed these ordinances. So what is the Hebrew word for heed? Or sorry, what is the Hebrew word for um, because, actually? So take a look at Rashi. Rashi, I, I quoted Rashi's commentary right beneath those verses. And you see it's Rashi in Deuteronomy 7.12. And Rashi, which is, who is the foremost biblical commentary, he says the following, and it will be because you will heed. In Hebrew, the word because is akev. In, in, in Hebrew, there's three words, vahaya, akev, tishmu'un, and it will be because you will heed. So akev is the word, is what's, it's, it's for the Hebrew word because. Hey, Anthony, yashakah for the breakfast. Thank you, Anthony. Guys, round of applause for Anthony. All right. Anthony's being humble. Yeah, get another round of applause for him. That's a cock, really. Thank you. Enjoy your thirst Thank you. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So here we go. So Akev, the word Akev is used, the Torah portion, that this, that this is the first verse of a Torah portion. It's called Akev. The name of the portion is Akev. What does Akev mean? Says Rashi, Akev literally means heal. 
Again, we've translated it as because. Because you will heed. But the word akev, because, literally means heal. And so Rashi then continues. Let's read Rashi. If you will heed the minor commandments, which one usually tramples with his heels, i.e. which a person, person treats as being of minor importance, then you will get all the blessings. In other words, Rashi explains that what are the blessings do? What are the blessings a result of? Not just doing the right thing, but keeping the mitzvot that, uh, that seemingly are the small ones, the minor ones, that people typically just trample over with their heels. In other words, they're not so careful with. So there's certain mitzvot that people, by and large, are careful with. Like, for example, on a Jewish holiday level, it would be like Yom Kippur or Passover. On a mitzvah level, it would be, I don't know, whatever. whatever to, and we all have in our, our own minds what's a, what's a big deal, you know, what's very important. Like, oh, this is, a very, this is a very important mitzvah. Like, I would definitely do this one. But what Rashi is suggesting is that the Torah is telling us that uh, to pay attention to the little things as well. You know that phrase, God is in the details? Mm-hmm. Right? Even in the seemingly minor stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, first, let me, let me tie this into relationships. So if you only remember your significant other on their birthday and on your anniversary, right? And then, because those are the big days, but the rest of the time it's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you again. <laughs> like, if that's, then that's not a relationship. Where do you see the relationship? It's in the little things. It's in the little things. It's in, you know, it's, it's easy to hold a door open for a stranger at Starbucks. The question is, do we hold the door open for our loved ones, you know, in our own homes? And it may sound cheesy, but, you know, my side gig is running for Hallmark. I'm kidding. What? <laughs> but no, it may sound cheesy, but it's, but it's important. That's what the Torah is telling us. If you're really in a relationship with God, then you don't just pay attention to the big things. You don't just pay attention to the, you know, the, oh, the, the stuff that by all accounts would be make it or break it. That doesn't build a relationship. That's like the basics. What builds a relationship is the everyday, the little interactions. It's, I'll give you an example. Let's say with, with prayer, with davening, right? And you know what I'm talking about right here, right? It's like the mincha. <laughs> it's the, right? It's like the afternoon prayer. Okay, Lisa. Tell me the difference in numbers of bodies in synagogue between Shabbat morning and Wednesday mincha. Very small. The ratio, it's like yeah, you know, 200 people versus 15 11. people, 11 people. That's what I mean. So Hashem says, look, look, if you, and I'm, I'm talking to myself also, by the way, this is not like, is that, right? This is, this is all of us, right? Hashtag. We all need to work on the heel. So the point is, Rashi is saying that it's God is, the Torah is not just saying, if you keep the mitzvahs, then Hashem is going to you know, look out for you. If you, keep, if you keep the important stuff, God is going to look after you. The message here is, if you're attentive to the details that other people overlook, because it's not that important. It's Wednesday, after all. <laughs> Whatever, right? I'll do it at home. That's when God says, aha, you showed up. I like that. Now you're attentive. You're attentive to the details. It's not only that, and it's one example, but like it could be anything. The small stuff, God is in the details. I've done this before. It's, it, it, it's, this is not, look, what I'm about to share with you is my own idea, which makes it number one, possibly, you know, to, 
who says it's legit? And it also involves a, a knowledge of, of Hebrew and Hebrew letters. But I, I'm going to say it very quickly. If you get it, you get it. If not, it's also okay. The word akev is comprised of three letters, ayin, kuf, and bet. Every letter, every Hebrew letter has a shape, right? Like, for example, in English, the letter A is a shape. It's like a, what, a teepee with a, a crossbar to support it or something, right? That's it. So it's right. Every, in Hebrew, every letter has, has a shape. Um, but when you pronounce the letter, not when you read it in a word, but when you say the word like Aleph, Bet, Gimel, right? when you say the letter, it's not just the letter, it's actually three letters. Every letter is pronounced with three letters. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes? Okay. If you were to write out the letter A as you hear it, what is that? Phonetically? Is that, is that what phonetically means? Yeah? If you were to write out phonetically, you would probably write A Y, right? A! <laughs> right? A! Look who's here! Ooh. Thinks it's a big letter. <laughs> B, you would probably spell B E E. C, C. It seems like incorrect all over the place. Maybe S E, but then, yeah, I don't know. You got to start with C somehow. Anyway, so. You know, that's what I mean. So, if, so and now imagine doing the same with Hebrew letters. So you have three Hebrew letters for Akev. Oh, the Hebrew's here. You can see there's only one Hebrew word literally on the page um, where it says Heb, Hebrew Akev. So three letters from right to left, Ayin, Kuf, and Bet. Ayin, that first letter, again, phonetically, would be spelled Ayin Yud Nun. And Kuf would be spelled Kuf Yud Bet. And Bet is spelled... Bet Yud Tav. Again, if you were just to write out the way it sounds, every letter the way it sounds, that's what you would get. And, and, and I know, again, this is a bit of a deep dive, but if you, if you imagine that you wrote, and it would be helpful if I wrote this out, but if you wrote out all three letters the way they are, they are pronounced, Ayin, Kuf, Bet, and you took the middle letters of all three letters, right? Every letter, the way it's spelled out, if you took the middle character of all three letters as, they, as you write it out phonetically, you would get ayin is yud, kuf is vav, and bet is yud, and you would have the numerical value of 26, which is the numerical value of God's name, yud ke the tetragrammaton, God's four-letter name, which means that quite literally, God, 26, is in the details. If akev is the details, is the heel, God is in the details. All right, moving along, moving along. We're going to go now to the next to the next, uh, so what we've established so far is heels play a prominent role in the story of um, Jacob, Jacob's birth, and also in the notion of reward for Torah and mitzvot. It's all about the heel. It's all about even doing the mitzvah, even paying attention to the mitzvah that otherwise would be trampled by, um, you know, trampled by the heel. The next story is a wild story. This is literally a wild story. The story comes from Tractate Bava, uh, Bava Batra, which interestingly enough is a, is a tractate, is a section of Talmud that deals with um, laws of uh, property, property, um, it's like property disputes and other type of technical laws. And yet, as every Talmudic tractate has, it also has great stories. So here we go. The Talmud says, Rabbi Bina'a, it's the name of the rabbi. Oh, just so you know, under the section called Heel Glow, you guys see it, right? It's on the, was it the, the second side? So the, the, the bold words are the, like the kind of the literal translation. The unbolded words are the explanation. 
Um, but you just, it's hard to read it without a little bit of explanation in between. So here we go. Rabbi Benah was marking burial caves for the purpose of helping to prevent the contracting of ritual impurity. I feel like I need to explain that. The Jewish law says that when a person comes in contact with a corpse, person, whether that's literally, you know, touching a dead body or even under the roof, the same roof as someone who's deceased, or even walking through a cemetery. Good morning, good morning. It's great to see you. Welcome. Nice, nice. So uh, Jewish law says that when, when one encounters or, or is in proximity to human death, it renders a person in a state of ritual impurity. Okay, now why is that so? This is a constant throughout Jewish law <coughs> that any, any contact, any brush with death renders a person in a state of impurity. In other words, Judaism is very sensitive to life and death. And if there's, a, if there's death, then it immediately triggers a sense of acknowledgement. There is a sense, there's a, there's a protocol, etc., for one to become pure. And the idea is we don't just brush off death. It's something that is noted and we pay attention to. That's why in Judaism we have the Shiva, the 30 days, the 11 months of Kaddish, the 12 months of the yard site. It's a process of grieving, of mourning, but, by, but, but most, I think most significantly, it's a process of noting and acknowledging the loss. We don't go straight back to work. We don't brush off like, oh, nothing happened. You acknowledge it, you deal with it, you, you purify, as it were, from it, etc. And the purity, the, the purification rite, i.e. ritual, for coming in contact with human death involves the para aduma. That is the red heifer. What's the red heifer? It's a total, completely red cow. And then there's a process of taking the cow's ashes, mixing it with water, sprinkling, on, sprinkling it on the one who became impure. And with that, the person became, after seven days, etc., the person becomes once again pure. Which means, probably the, e- I, I know what you're all thinking, uh, like what? Like, huh? Is this like, did you just say that? Yes. Okay. So first of all, we don't do that today. We don't have a temple. You can't do the red heifer without a holy temple. So we haven't done it in probably 2,000 years-ish, less. Uh, that's one point. Second point is that if you can imagine back in the day when this was a thing, when people were being careful about this, to become, to contract as or whatever, to become in contact with, uh, to become ritually impure, would be, let's just say this in the, in the, in the most uh, you know, under, you know, underselling way, would be quite inconvenient, correct? It would be inconvenient. You couldn't go wherever you wanted to go. You couldn't eat whatever foods you want to eat. You had to go through this process. You need a red heifer. Be like, hey, anyone have a totally red cow? Anybody know where I can get one? Like, asking for a friend. You know, you hit all your WhatsApp groups. Like, <clears throat> it, was, it was a hassle. So this rabbi made it his mission amongst other things, to mark, to chart, to map out where ancient burial caves were so that people wouldn't walk on top of the caves or nearby the caves and become ritually impure. This man was doing God's work. He was doing a mitzvah, right? He was charting, he was mapping out ancient cemeteries, essentially. You with me so far? The story's about to get bananas. That's all the intro. Let's go. When he arrived at the cave of Abraham, look at that. You had me at the cave of Abraham. You know what the cave of Abraham is, right? I.e. the cave of Machpelah. That's in Hebron, right? That's the, that's the cave. Abraham and Sarah, patriarchs and matriarchs are buried. 
That's a pretty, pretty, pretty hallowed ground. So when he arrived at the cave of Abraham, he encountered Eliezer. Who was Eliezer? The servant of Abraham who was standing before the entrance. In case you're wondering, they lived thousands of years apart. Abraham and Sarah were long gone. Eliezer, the trusted servant who was the one that found Rebekah as a wife for Isaac, just tying all the stories together, right? Um, Eliezer was long gone by then, but he encountered, I guess, the spirit of Eliezer standing by the entrance of the cave of Machpelah. Has anyone been to the Ma'arat HaMachpelah in Hebron? You've not been. Has anyone been? Really? All right. Class trip. We leave now. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so let's continue. Rabbi Benah said to him, to Eliezer, again, so Abraham is in there. And all, all this man, all this rabbi is trying to do is just map things out. So like avoid this area. <coughs> By the way, now it's a building with fancy steps leading up. It is problematic. Yeah, it's dangerous. Contested, contested grounds, huh? The buses that go there are bulletproof. Right. That's your way of saying it's a little, uh, <laughs> it's not for the faint of heart to make the pilgrimage there. Okay, yeah. It's a, it's a very, very holy place. And because of that, it's, uh, it's a little bit contested. Here we go. Let's get back inside. So, but this is before that, right? This is back in the day when, when all was cool. Huh? Can you just tell us what, what is the contention? Or what, are, what are people contesting? About well, Judaism considers it to be hallowed ground. And Islam also considers it to be a holy place. Because Abraham is, you know, also for them yeah. a thing. And so, so there are clashes. So, so the clashes. And Hebron is a city Abraham where... Belong to Judaism or Islam? At the core of it, yeah. yeah. At the core of it, yeah. Um, okay, so here we have Eliezer standing, and for more of a geopolitical conversation afterwards, Odette is available for, uh, for, for, more, for more details. <laughs> All right, so, so Eliezer, um, Abraham's uh, trusted servant, is standing again, trusted servant, doing trusted servant things, standing at the entrance of the cave, of the burial spot. Eliezer, um, oh, so Rabbi Benaz said to Eliezer, what is Abraham doing at this moment? Listen to this. Eliezer said to him, he is lying in the arms of Sarah and she is examining his head. It's not what, the, examining his head. It's not, oh, got his head examined. No, this is like, I don't know. She's like caressing his head, as it were. How romantic. Rabbi Benah said to him, said to Eliezer, go tell him, go tell Abraham that Benah, referring to himself, is standing at the entrance so that he should assume the appropriate position to receive a visitor. Because like, I don't want to barge in on this, on whatever is going on in there. Abraham and Sarah, you know, a little cuddling going on there. I don't want to, I don't want to get involved. Eliezer said to him, nah, it's fine. You're good. Go on in. Let him, let, you can enter. Since it is known that there is no evil inclination in this higher world, so it is not inappropriate for Rabbi Benat to see Abram and Sarah in this position. Interesting. In other words, 
this is not, there's no, there's no shame, there's no, now there's, this is, there's no evil inclination, so this is completely pure, etc. So he entered, the rabbi, Rabbi Benah, entered, examined the cave in order to measure it, and exited. You guys with me so far? Interesting, right? So, I mean, he came in to measure the cave. He's like, I don't want to see, like, y'all need to, you know, you're good. He's like, we're good, we're good, okay. Comes in, measures it, chick he's out. All right, let's continue. When he arrived at the cave of Adam, the first man. Look at that. Imagine that. Imagine knowing where Adam is buried. That's kind of cool. When he arrived at the cave of Adam, the first man, who was buried in the same area, a divine voice emerged and said, you gazed upon the likeness of my image, i.e. Abraham, who was similar to the image of Adam, the first man. Do not gaze upon my image itself, i.e. Adam, the first man, about whom the verse states that he was formed in the image of God. God says to him as he's about to enter Adam's cave, I guess there was no one standing outside. God says, I, I, I gave you Abraham, I'm not going to give you Adam. You were able to, see, yes. That's what it says. Buried in the same area. But still different, different sections. Yeah, but a cave is a cave. They're not buried in exactly the same, you know. They're in the same cave. The same general cave area. I mean, I'm a spelunker myself. I'm not. Oh, no. Are you kidding me? I just know the word. That's the extent. It's the same, but that building is large. But it's a large building, right? So there's different sections. So when he went to the section of Adam, so God says, take it easy. I'm paraphrasing. Take it easy, bro. Like, where are you going? Like, don't, don't go in there because Adam's there. And Adam is created in my image. So I let you gaze at it. I let you behold Abraham. But Adam, Adam's off limits. So Rabbi Benah replies back to the divine voice, but I need to mark the cave. Business is business. I got to mark the cave. The voice said to him, as the measurements of the dimensions of the outer cave where Abraham is buried, so are the dimensions of the, so are the measurements of the dimensions of the inner cave where Adam is buried. Interesting. So God says, basically, you can extrapolate from Abraham's burial spot to Adam's burial spot somehow. Again, we would need some 3D modeling to like figure this out, but that's, Okay, and the Gemara notes, and according to the one who says that the cave of Machpelah consists of two chambers, this one above that one, not two adjacent chambers. In other words, we don't, there's, a, there's a dispute in Machloket whether the cave of Machpelah is, is, is a um, horizontal or vertically kind of oriented, okay? So there's two different opinions. Um, so according to the one that says that it's vertical, not horizontal, the voice said something different. As the measurements of the dimension of the upper cave where Abraham is buried, so are the, dimensions of, so are the measurements of the dimension of the lower cave. Therefore, there's no need to measure it. Either way, it was either you're extrapolating you know, laterally or you're just saying it's the same vertical positioning, which means don't stand on the ground above or around this area. Either way, that was the, that was the message. And here's where it gets interesting. Rabbi Benah says, I gazed at his heels. He was told not to look. 
looked, Danny. Of course he looked. Who's not going to look? Who's not going to look? He said, I gaze at Adam's two heels. And they shone so brightly that they are similar to two suns. The heels of Adam. He didn't look at the face of Adam. Or the rest of the torso. But the heels of Adam shone like two suns. Y'all know the theme of today's class by now, right? Heels. There you go. Let's continue. I decided to keep on going because this seemed kind of cool. So I'm like, we already got the heels, but let's just do this. Along these lines, the Gemara states, in other words, along the lines of the idea of original like beauty, right? Like in the image of God, like you can't even look like. So the Gemara states that all people compared to Sarah, Abraham's wife, are like a monkey compared to a human. No, it's like, I mean, they pale in beauty to her. As Sarah was exceedingly beautiful. And Sarah compared to Eve is like a monkey compared to a human. And Eve compared to Adam is like a monkey compared to a human. And Adam compared to the divine presence is like a monkey compared to a human. It all comes full circle. Not really. Huh? It's a lot of monkeys. It's a lot of monkeys today. I, I quoted that. Again, we already covered the heels. I could have... Well, figuratively. This is how we know we're from apes, right? Correct. This is the Talmudic evolution theory, right? It says monkeys. I don't know. Uh, the point is not, obviously, to, to be disparaging. The point is really to say how beautiful, you know, and how uh, just mind-blowingly, and I don't know even what it means about beauty over here, but because the, the top of the chain is the divine presence. What? We say God is like... Stunning. And what are we going to say? It's like, God is like the perfection and, and, and beauty. So, and everything else pales. And then, okay, let's continue. Oh, here we go. It was also stated, final paragraph, that the beauty of Rav Kahana, now we get into rabbis, <laughs> ranking rabbis here. Uh, the beauty of Rav Kahana is the semblance of the beauty of Rav. The beauty of Rav is the semblance of the beauty of Rabbi Abahu. The beauty of Rabbi Abahu is the semblance of the beauty of Jacob, our forefather. The beauty of Jacob, our forefather, is a semblance of the beauty of Adam, the first man. Boom. There we go. All right. No monkeys in that paragraph. So about this rabbi looked like that one, who looked like that one, looked like Adam, who looked like Jacob, looked like Adam. I actually wanted to quote that paragraph for another insight that is parenthetical, but I think very powerful. Remember the story of Joseph? Right? My favorite story in the Torah. Story of Joseph. And he's in Egypt, and he was sold as a slave to Egypt. He was sold in slavery, and winds up in Egypt, and he's working for this guy named Potiphar. And the Torah says that Potiphar's wife, she liked Joseph. It's like the PG-13 <laughs> version of it. She liked Joseph. As a friend. <laughs> a lot. A lot. A lot. They were, yeah, like she made a mixtape for him. It was like this whole thing. So, well, hold on. Hold on. Now you're getting. All right. I'm rushing. You're rushing. We had we the build up here. And, and so, and the Torah says that every single day or every opportunity she would say, hey, Let's go to the mall together, right? <laughs> right? Let's, uh... <laughs> what? 
How you doing? That's from the shop friend. The guy would say when he wants to get it's like, how you doing? How you doing? And then Joey. Nice. Okay, so so she, you know, she would request, you know, hey, what are you doing today? Like to go to Forever 21 or whatever it was, like, you know, let's just hang out. And um Spencer. right. And and you know that that so and he said no and he refused. The Talmud says, actually, that one day he decided, you know what? Today will be the day. We'll go to the mall today. He decided that. And the Torah says that day, everyone was out of the house. Apparently it was a holiday. It was like a pagan holiday, whatever they worshipped in, in Egypt. And um, He did her a favor. So, right, so everyone leaves the house, and I'm assuming they were <laughs> walk like an Egyptian. <laughs> They're just moseying out of the house. They're all right, anyway, so they're, they, they all bounce. She says she's not feeling well. And he's in the house doing his thing. And the Talmud says that he was ready to say yes to the dress. He was ready to go all in. And at the last moment, the image of his father, Jacob, flashed in front of his eyes. And with that image of his dad... He said, I can't do this. And that's when he ran and she grabbed on. She was holding on to him. His jacket let, uh, ended up in her arms, but he ran out of the house. He said, I can't do this. Talmud says the pivotal, the pivotal moment was the image of his father flashed in front of his eyes. That's what the Talmud says. The question is, what's so significant about seeing his dad? So the simple answer is he saw his dad, who remembered where he came from, remembered you know, his, uh, his values, his, his morals, ethical compass, and he couldn't go ahead with, with, with uh, he couldn't go to the mall with her. That was like, that was the thing. So, okay, that's a simple idea. And, 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 and I don't want to discount that the simple explanation because that's also very powerful because imagine you have a, um, you have somebody who is, you have, hey Sandrine, Good to see you. <laughs> Come on in. So imagine you have somebody who is alone. I mean, think about it. Somebody whose family sold him out. Like, literally. His brothers, his own flesh and blood, turned on him. And they said, we don't value you as a person, as a member of the family, or even as a, as a, as a human with dignity. They sold human trafficking of their own brother. Right? I mean, talk about a child. He was 17. He was 17 when he was kidnapped, thrown into a ditch, and sold as a slave to a country. This is before cell phones. There was no communication. No communication. He was a slave working for some Egyptian dude. Can you imagine? Number one, the trauma. Number two, the feeling of abandonment. Number three, the feeling of isolation. By every account, this person could have said, what I do does not matter. It doesn't matter to anyone else. No one will know. No one cares. No one cares about me. What I do fundamentally does not matter. 
And honestly, honestly, on some level, I think we all might say he would be justified to say that. Yeah, I could totally see that. I could totally see somebody in that situation saying that, you know, my life is basically in shambles. My life is completely ruined, um, uh, you know, due to no fault of my own. I've been abandoned. I've been, I've been um, you know, abused by my family. I've been, you know, sold out. Literally, figuratively, everything on every level. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something for myself now. I don't care. I don't care. So what happens? The Talmud says he sees the image of whom? His father. You know what his father's name was? Yaakov. Right. He was Joseph. He was Joseph. His father was Yaakov. Jacob. We just read in the Talmud. That who did Jacob look like? The beauty of Jacob, our for I'll just pull up the videotape. The beauty of Jacob, our forefather, is a semblance of the beauty of Adam, the first man. Which means that Jacob looked like Adam. So here's one interpretation. When Joseph sees his father, he sees Jacob. But what else does he see? He sees Adam. And he remembers that one action... In one corner of the, of, of the earth, one action makes a difference. What is it going to matter? Does it really matter if I eat from this fruit, if I don't eat from the tree? Does it make a difference? I'm just one guy, right? No one's looking. Crunch. It wasn't an apple, but whatever, right? One, one move. Reminds me of the story that I've told you before. I was growing up, you know, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Sure, no one knew that. Anyway, grew up, growing up in Pittsburgh, I was once Murray Ave, Murray Avenue, Squirrel Hill, named after the squirrels in the hills, I presume. There are a lot of squirrels in a lot of hills. Squirrel Hill, Murray Avenue, I walked into, what was it called? What was it called? The newsstand, I forget the, yeah, they sold newspapers and, and I don't know, whatever. They had arcades, that's where I first beat Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. As a, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I was a big Leonardo guy. I'm like, if you play that, you got to go all in on Leonardo. I think he had the stick. Did he have the stick? Two swords. Two swords? Who had the stick? Donatello. Donatello. I still think I was a Leonardo guy. Was he blue? Who was the blue guy? That was my boy. I like blue. Um, anyway, back to the back to arcades. I'm kidding. So back to the story. So I, I walk over to the to the beverage cooler, as it were, and I pull out a beverage. And I'm looking at the label. And the guy's like, what are you looking for? I'm like, I'm looking to see if it's kosher. He looks around. He's like, ah, I don't want to tell anybody. <laughs> that's literally the story that happened. And I'm like, uh, that's not how it works. It's <laughs> 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 not actually how it works. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, well, if you're not going to tell anybody, I think we'll just go ahead with this purchase. <laughs> I'm like, no. It's like... <laughs> Everything matters. We know this scientifically, right? If a butterfly, butterfly flaps its wings, you know, in one corner of the earth, it can create a ripple effect, law of conservation of matter, right? Nothing is ever destroyed or, uh, I don't know if that's going to work, whatever. But the point is that things like the beers, like diamonds, everything we do is eternal, is forever. Right? Everything is forever. And the choices we make Make an impact. And so when Joseph is isolated, he's alone, he's in Egypt, he has every reason to do something for himself. 
Today, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Like, I don't care. I don't care. At this point, I don't care. No one cares about me. No one's been looking for me. No one's, you know, sent a message. The Pony Express to Egypt to track me down. My family doesn't care. Right? Who says God cares? Maybe no one cares. And in that moment, that final moment before he might have made that, taken that action, his father's image flashed in front of his eyes. And again, according to this Hasidic interpretation, with, by seeing his father, he actually saw Adam and reminded himself that every action, no matter how seemingly small or insignificant, no matter how seemingly small or insignificant you think that you are, there's no such thing as a small human being and there's no such thing as a small action. Everything we do matters. Talk about Jewish guilt. Anyway, no, okay. right, but that's, right, that's the idea, that we are significant. We are valuable. What we do matters. It makes a difference. Knowing that and recognizing that or reminding himself of that, he says, you know what? I got to bounce. I got to bounce. I got a three o'clock at the, at the movies. So sorry. I can't go to the mall. Right? That's his... Uh... Three huh? Yes. Exactly. I got a thing. I got I to be elsewhere. I got to bounce. Peace. And he runs and he bounces and he splits and he doesn't do, he doesn't do something that would have forever altered his, his, the course of his life and his, uh, his inner spiritual composition. The message here is, well, that, oh, that was all parenthetical. Back to the heels, right? That was all a bonus lesson. Look at that. <laughs> all right, back to the story. Heels. We have now three episodes of heels. Episode one is the birth of Jacob holding on to the heel of his brother. Episode two, the Torah says, It's because you'll listen to God that you'll get all these blessings that it enumerates blessing after blessing after blessing. And Rashi says, it's not just listening to God's mitzvot, but it's even the ones that you might ordinarily discard or disregard because, oh, that's not a big deal. I know big deals when I see one. That's not a big deal. Don't, don't, so don't do that. Even the heel is valuable. And then we had the third instance of heels from today, from this handout, is that Adam, when Rabbi Benai was marking graves, he saw the heels of Adam, and they shone like two suns. They shone like the sun. What does it all mean? I have no idea. I'm kidding. So what does it all mean? What does it all mean? So here's the deal. I want to I explain this on two levels. Number one, the easier level and then the deeper level. The easier level is, when it comes to heels, the heel signifies that the totality of the person is in. Right? The totality of the person is all in on this. Why does the heel signify that? Let's think about it. Where is the heel located? The bottom. So, you know, what, what, it, what we're really saying when we say that, you know, even you know, to, uh, to be all in even to the level of heels means that from top to bottom, the entire person, you, are completely dedicated to the task at hand. Even your heels are saturated, permeated with this message. Like Rashi says, that even, well, Rashi says, even the mitzvot that you think are, or that you would trample over with your heels. But again, the deeper meaning of that is that even your heel, even the lowest part of your body, 
you are completely um, uh, surrendered and, and, and all in that there's no part of your body, even the least sensitive part of your body, is in, is dedicated, is on, is on point. That's a significant symbolism of Yaakov, Jacob, grabbing the heel of, of Esau. That means that even the heel needs to be brought in. Even the Jacob, sorry, even the Esau, and even Esau's heel needs to be brought in to the fold, needs to be you know, reclaimed for Kedusha for holiness. Even the mitzvot that we would trample with our heel or even the heel within ourselves that might be less than sensitive to goodness should be sensitive, right? The heel is the least sensitive part of the body. And even Adam's heels, they were shining like the sun, i.e., the heels were so um, permeated with divine consciousness that they elevated the heel. Now I know what you're thinking. Adam, his heels were shining like the sun. Isn't he the guy that we just said, you know, uh, disregarded his moral compass and, you know, ate behind the, the tree? He's like, oh, I hope no one's watching at this point, right? How could he be the guy? He lived 930 years. I'm assuming after day one, he probably fixed things up <laughs> and his heels were shining. By the end of his life, his heels were shining. The idea here, the big idea here is that no part of us should be outside. It's not like, you know, when, when athletes say they left it all in the field? It's like, what does that mean for us? It means there should be no part of us that remains uninspired or insensitive to what it is that we're here for. And again, the heel is the part of the body that is the least sensitive. I wrote in the email, if, you're, you know, if you need to walk on something hard, you have no footwear, you're probably not going to walk on your head. I know that sounds ridiculous, but you're probably Actually, not. You very sensitive. Okay, you're probably not going to, one second. You're probably not going to lead with a sensitive part of your body. You're going to lead with your, with your foot. You're going to lead with your heel. Because the heel is the least sensitive. It's the least sensitive. And when you're testing the hot, like a bath, is it hot? Is it too hot? You put your foot in. You don't put your head in. Well, I know, that doesn't work. If you say toe, it's not going to work. You dip your toe in. You say that, I say dip your heel in. I don't know what, you're th- I don't know what idioms you're quoting. That's so bizarre in my world today right now. No, but the idea is heel. The heel, the, why? Because it's the least sensitive. But what's the point of today's, uh, today's message? Point number one, before we get to the deeper one. Point number one is that nothing should be left outside. Don't leave anything behind. Put it all on the field, i.e. even the heel should be filled with inspo, should be filled with saturated, with light. Like Adam's heels, the heel was shining. Can you imagine the face? Even the heel was shining. The same thing that Rashi says, don't be insensitive to the small mitzvah. You know what that means? That's the heel. That's not only the heel mitzvah, it's the heel you. It's like, when things get really excited, when I understand things, or when I feel things, my head or my heart, that's when I'll take it seriously. But otherwise, eh, what's a Wednesday mincha amongst friends? Eh, nothing, garnished. That's heel, that's being insensitive. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like the guy. Yeah, it's like the the couple that's in therapy. And the guy, the therapist says to the, Says to the wife, what's the problem? She says, my husband never tells me he loves me. And the therapist turns to the husband and says, is this true? He says, yeah. I told her once at the wedding, I love you. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> it's like that. Don't be that guy. I'm saying that's not a, this is not marriage advice. This is anti-marriage advice. That's heal. Heal is to be insensitive. To be sensitive is to recognize that if I'm, if that, that, 
that connection requires cultivation. Relationships require cultivation. And it means being at least as sensitive to the ones that are close to us as to the stranger. Why should we be so magnanimous and so chivalrous to people we don't know, but to people that we know, we take them for granted? That's a product of the heel. That's a heel. There's no rational reason for that. It's just we become desensitized because we're familiar. So familiar, you're desensitized. You walk on the foot all the time. It becomes a little less sensitive. And the message today is, like Adam, the heel should shine like the sun. The heel should be sensitive, should be filled with light. That's the easy message. But let's go deeper. And the deeper message is like this. The heel, again, represents this lack of sensitivity. The head is very sensitive. The heart is very sensitive. The heel is the least sensitive part of the body. I mean, the fingers are sensitive. Even the toes are sens- more sensitive than the heel. I mean, if we're ranking, if this were a BuzzFeed article, right? Limbs ranked, sensitivity, the heel, it's got to be at the bottom of the list. Got to be. The heel is the least sensitive. The heel represents, I mean, it's similar to what I just said, but, but with a twist. The heel represents the avodah, the modality of divine service called kabbalat ol. What is kabbalat ol? Kabbalat ol means, in a sense, for lack of, uh, not, not a perfect translation, but it means surrender. Kabbalat ol means that I surrender to do what is needed even when I don't see it, I don't feel it, I don't understand it, I'm not excited about it, it means I'm all in. I'm all in. Like a, like a foot soldier. Why do they call them foot soldiers? Why not just soldiers? A foot soldier. Someone who just does, does the mission. I'm not a head soldier. If I'm a head soldier, then I'm questioning authority. Oh, I have a different strategy. Right? I think maybe that is the end of the soldier's career. You're starting to... You got you to follow orders, marching orders, you got to go. That's the idea of a heel. Heel is marching forward. Get the job done. Don't overthink it. it. Whether it makes sense to you, whether it doesn't make sense to you, this is the call, this is the, this is the command, go for it. Again, it's related to the idea of, you know, Wednesday mincha, but it's, not, but it's, it's also a little, a little bit different. It's not just this is also important or this is also valuable, this is also significant, this is, it doesn't matter whether or not you and I find, you know, uh, meaning, whether or not like the, um, you know, we, the, the, the sparks go off when we do this mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. It's, it's our marching orders. We do it. And that's what it means to be a heel person. It means even down to the heel, even in the most insensitive part, even in our state of lack of sensitivity, when we're desensitized, when we don't feel excited, we still do it. We still do it because it needs to get done, because it's the right thing to do, because we need to do it. And so connecting this with our conversation, and I want to get inside this text. It's been a few weeks. We have been studying a text, um, in case you've been wondering. So let's pull this, let's, uh, let's stick with this and um, pass this around, please. I'm going to pull this up on the screen. And let's go at this. Um, one second. Hold on one second. Let's hold the questions till after because we only have a few minutes. And I want to make sure we get this stuff in.
Okay, here we go. Oh. Here we go. We're on page 46. Guys, 46 where it says a successful man. Um, okay. <coughs> you guys ready? Everyone has a copy? Okay, it's, on, it's online. Everyone can read it. All of our Zoom crew and everyone here has a copy as well, right? Okay, a successful man. So here he's going to talk. Today we're going to cover, very quickly, two forms of servants. And this is going to be very powerful. A successful man. Now, it is certain that this precious servant... Now, we're talking about two types of servants. This is a metaphor, of course. But in the metaphor, in the analogy... So there's one servant who is excited about the work and the other servant who's not excited about the work. I would say one is the heart servant and one is the heel servant. There's one that's super excited. Like, oh, I can't wait to do this. I can't wait to do this mitzvah. I'm so excited. I wake up, rush on a morning. I can't wait to hear that chauffeur. I'm, exci- I'm pumped. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the cardio mitzvah. Super excited. My heart is excited. And then there's the heel mitzvah. It's like, oh my God, again, Mincha? What? Every day? Every day? What? What? What are we doing? It's happening here. Successful man. Now, it is certain that this precious servant, that's the um, cardio mitzvah servant, uh, works with alacrity, joy, and great delight in all that he does for the pleasure of his master. He receives pleasure and joy from his work, and it is not a burden for him at all because of the intensity of his inner bond of great love from the depths of his soul for his master. This is why he dedicated himself to his work for the master's good with all his heart and soul. Heart. There you go. He's excited. This also motivates him to do his best with all the capacity of his intellect and emotions in conducting his master's estate in his work in the, in the home and in the field to produce profit and increase blessing. This is so even to the extent that due to the success produced by the precious servant who casts his own life to the side and focused only on increasing blessing and success in his master's estate. And indeed, this is his entire ambition, exceeding even the master's own ambition. The master will grow wealthy and great with all precious wealth and additional greatness, entirely beyond the ability of the master to achieve the same through his own strength and luck alone. Wow, that was a long sentence. At least they put in M dashes to make us feel like it wasn't so long. His point is that, the, that this servant is so excited. I mean, let's just make it modern. This worker in your company is so excited about the job. They're not just doing it because they have to do it. They're, they're motivated that they'll make more profit for the company than the company would without this guy. This person is so motivated and so excited that like, and not for their own, for their own self, but for the good of the company, that it elevates everything. So let's continue. He gives two examples. Yosef. Ah, our friend. Yosef, Joe. Joseph, for example, was a successful man in Ishmael's And his master was blessed very much through Yosef's work. Similarly, it is said of Mashiach, the Messiah, Behold my servant, Yaskil. Yaskil means he will succeed. Until he will be very, very, very lofty, etc. As shall be explained in a future discourse. Okay, well, let's leave that aside. Parentheses. Let's do uh, one, two, three, four, four very short paragraphs, and we'll close it out. The divine servants. This metaphor about the two servants can be understood in the context of divine service. 
Uh, who are the two servants? Well, we just did one, which is the faithful or loyal or excited servant. But the first servant, which we'll circle back to in a moment, is the servant who is the heel servant. He's just doing it because he has to. Is he excited about it? No. Does he feel it? No. Does he understand it? No. He's got to do it. He does it. I got to do it. I got I, I to. I, 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 ha, I, ha, I have to do it. It's a job. It's a job. I have to do it. There's surrender in this experience. There's surrender. There's submission. It's, I got to do it. Let's continue. This metaphor about the two servants can be understood in the context of divine servants, divine service. So now he talks about how this shows up for us spiritually. And here's servant number one, heal. The children of Israel are called servants because of their bodies, which must accept the ol malchut shamayim, the yoke of heaven for divine service. We thus refer to God in our prayers as our father, our king. Similarly, God is called the king of Israel and its redeemer. King implying master-servant relationship. We show up and we stand before God <coughs> and God is our king. Now, if you think about father-son relationship, hopefully it's one of love and joy. This king-subject relationship is one of, I tell you what to do and you do it. It's a heel relationship. Now this Kabbalah at all parallels, that means acceptance of the yoke, submission, to a higher authority, like Hebrew National, hot dogs. Um, yeah, that's their old advertisement back in the day. We answer to a higher authority. Hebrew National. Now, this Kabbalat Ol parallels the simple servant's Kabbalat Ol of his master, where his primary service is in the mode of a great yoke, page 50, to suffer the burden of all types of difficult labor, etc., although it is very much against his will. This is the person who does the right thing even when the right thing is difficult. This is Joseph saying, every fiber of my body wants to give in in this moment, wants to, wants to say yes, but I cannot. I cannot do it. Not because I'm excited about saying no. Because I can't. I can't do it. So I'm not going to do it. Nevertheless, even though it's against his will, it becomes like second nature to him because of the yoke of servitude that he accepts upon himself out of his fear and trepidation before his master. Doing the work of his master becomes his entire being and he does not exist for himself at all. In other words, the surrender, the level of surrender is real. The surrender means that this person says, it's not about me, it's not about what I want, it's about what I need to do. Anyone who has ever run a business successfully. Anyone who's been in a relationship knows this. Not always are things fun. That's not how it works. It's not always fun. Sometimes you need to do what you need to do because simply you need to do it. And someone who says, I'm only gonna do the things that I find fun and enjoyable, at some point is just not having the full experience that we're talking about today. And there's something lacking in that type of dedication. Imagine someone says, you know, like, yeah, in a Jewish, you know, the, the Jewish tradition, we don't really do the exchanging of vows under the chuppah, right? But imagine like the typical American, the one that I used to see on, you know, on uh, whatever, on shows and movies, right? What's, what's the typical thing? Do you so-and-so, hereby, I'm paraphrasing because it's been maybe a minute, do you take so-and-so, to be your lawfully wedded so-and-so, 
Um, in, but then what's the, what's the thing? In sickness and health, in richness and poorness, whatever till death do us part. Imagine if the, imagine if the vows were, will you take this person only when everything is great? Yes. Absolutely. I sign up for an easy ride in life. Yes. That is the level of my commitment. As long as it's going well, I'm in. A hundred percent. I'm in when it's great. And when it's not, oh, I'm checking out. I'm out. I'm out. If you hear that door slam, you know that things got a little, I got a little uncomfortable and I'm out the door. OTD. See you later. When I feel, when I feel good again, I'll be right back in. On the drive. Huh? Out the door, on the drive. On the drive. See you later. Don't even reach out. I will not answer until I'm in a better mood. Is that going to work? That's not going to work. <laughs> Earth-shattering uh, revelations right here at Kabbalah Cafe. Right? That ain't going to work. It's just not going to work. Relationship. Well, okay. I'm, I'm, say, I'm saying, right, and, and, and I, I think that the point is that, right, we can't just sign up for when it's easy. I mean, again, even the Hollywood vows, you don't say, they don't say that. It's like, will you take this person in sickness and in health? They even start with sickness. Oh, I didn't even think about that. What's the, I wish I knew the rest of the, 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 the language. But in, I think not in health, in sickness. In sickness and in health. You know what that means? It means I am, I am, I am committed to you even when it may not be about what I get out of it. Like, oh, I didn't sign up for that. Oh, I only signed up when it would be good for me. Oh, but you need something? Oh, whoa, oh, what's up with that? Don't you have any friends to talk to? <laughs> I mean, chas v'shalmi should ever say that, God forbid. Commitment means that you're committed all the way. Commitment means, how do you know when there's commitment? If everything's going well, you don't need a commitment. What do you need a commitment for? It's all going well. Why do you even need a marriage? Why do you even need that covenant? What's the point? It's going well, it's going well. You only need it for when things get a little, get a little, get a little uh, difficult. And when it gets a little difficult, you remember, oh, I committed. And a commitment means even when it's like a heel. Even when my head is not like, oh, this makes so much sense. Or my heart's not like, oh, this is so amazing. But it's the commitment. That's when the sun shines. That's when the light, that's when the light explodes. The greatest light is the light born of commitment. The greatest light is the light that emanates from the heel. And I would suggest that that's why Rabbi Benoya was granted the possibility, because no one can outsmart God. It's not how it works. Granted the possibility to see Adam's heels, to remember, sorry, to, to, to learn for himself and to teach us, the ones who have uh, the benefit of reading this story, that the greatest light is the light born of heel. The greatest, deepest relationships are those in which real commitment was there. When, you know, says, we've never had any disagreements. Well, then, are you even in a relationship? What is happening here? What is going on here? That is not a relationship. That's a first date. That's not a relationship. That is not a relationship, huh? Yeah, it's like, what, uh, what, what do you mean? Oh, it's always been amazing. Whatever. <laughs> All right. Can we be honest? I mean, like, what? Uh, you said, oh, I've never had a fight. Come back to me when you have. Like, what are we talking about here? 
Like, what are you? Are you like, you're sugar? What is this? What is, what is this? Is this Hollywood? Is that, what is uh, a, a, a novel? Like, what are we talking about here? Smoke and mirrors. So, a rebel once told someone, like, she was well, a young woman looking to get married, and she, like, she couldn't find the right guy. Rebbe said, I think, I think they're meeting. She speaks about this on a video. She says, Rebbe told me, like, do you read romance novels? She said, yeah. He's like, that's the problem. Because <laughs> that's not how real life is. You're expecting everything to be, like, always amazing. Like, what? <laughs> on what planet? But that's the whole point. It's not like, oh, this place, oh, this real life is terrible. And we just have to, you know, um, just, you know, uh, you know, give in. That's not the point. The greatest light is from the heel. The greatest depth is when you're committed, even when things are difficult. That brings out the depth of yourself and, and strengthens the depth of that connection between you and the other. And it's the same thing. I know, I know I'm focusing on the human relationship, but hey, I think that's the best, that's the closest we can, you know, to parallel our divine relationship. It's easy to be excited about the things we're excited about because we're already excited about that. If your thing is matzah, like, oh my God, I cannot wait to eat matzah. Like, oh my God, that's going to be amazing. I cannot wait to crunch. I can't wait to eat the thing that I'm not sure which tastes better, the box or the actual contents. Like, that's what I want. I want that thing. I need it now. And if you toasted the box, you might have a, a, a fourth piece. It's like, <coughs> so let's say you're excited about that. I can't relate necessarily, but let's say you're excited about that. And then you do the mitzvah. Oh my gosh, I'm killing my matzah this, this year. I mean, not whatever, right? Like, I'm killing it. I'm all in on matzah. Okay, slow golf clap. I guess that's okay. But like, are you committed to who? Yourself? You like it. Well, was, that, did you do, was that a mitzvah? You did that for God or yourself? Like, who, who was that for? Oh my God, we went out to eat at a restaurant. It was amazing. Yeah, I took this girl to a restaurant. Oh, it was great. Okay. What's she like? I don't know. The steak was amazing. Like, like you, enjoyed, you enjoyed your matzah. Was God at all involved? I'm not saying God is not involved in that. But what I am saying is, where, where do you see that light shining? In the hill. It's in those mitzvot that you're not so excited about. Or maybe not even at all excited about. But you show up. Because you're committed. Because you're, you're, God, you're on the God squad. Because you're God's servant. That's it. God called me in. God put us all here. We're all here because of God. God says, I want you here. God says, Solish, you're in the game. I get the call from the bullpen. Pulls me in. Right? I do the trot. I have this great music playing. Right? This great, like, ominous music. Come out onto the field. It's like, you get the ball. You're on the mound. You get the ball. Did you want to be here? Did you ask to be here? Did... I don't... That doesn't actually matter. Because every one of us has a mission. We were all brought onto the field. You called in. You called into the game. You're not yelling at your coach to be called into the game. You're not, right, you're not bumping your coach. Right? Travis. You don't bump the coach. Anyway, aside from that, here's the point. You're on the field. You're on the, you got called into the field. It's not about you. There's a game going on. There's a game going on. Antonio Brown, you don't quit in the middle of the game, bro. Former Steeler, right? It's like, you're committed. It's your team. It's the city. And this is only football. This is not actually real life. Sorry, right? 
I know, I know what, uh, what's his name said. Football is life. That was a different football. That was Apple Plus. What's his name? No, 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 no. Not my, the, uh, no, that show. Ted Lasso, thank you very much. Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, yeah. Football is life. That was great. Love that guy. Back to the story. Back to the story. Um, yeah, life is not always joy and excitement. Life is sometimes, oftentimes, the heel moments. Those heel moments are what test our metal and our integrity. Our integrity and our commitment. And that is what a divine servant is. Someone who says, sometimes I'll like it, sometimes I might not, but this is what needs to get done. This is my calling. And right now, in this moment, I will get done what needs to get done. And I'm going to get done with energy because I'm committed. It's true in relationships, true in life, true in business, true in spirituality. My blessing for all of us is that this week, all of our heels should shine. We should be committed to what we're committed to and show up the way we need to show up. And indeed, may the light explode. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a good blessing. That sounded ominous, but like, may the light <laughs> be, you know, just the supernova of light emanating from the commitment that we have in our own lives. Thank you for joining me this morning for Kabbalah Cafe. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, welcome to Renata. It's great to have you here Thank you. from New Jersey. Live in the ATL. It's great. And Frank, we're going to acknowledge our new participants. Frank, Frank was here Tuesday night sharing his story, his unbelievable story. Who's the dog? Tell us, tell us your dog's name. Sparky. Sparky, love Sparky. Sparky is the cutest ever. Amazing. Frank, great to see you. Great to see all of you. Um, Frank and Ellen and Larry and Mariana. Mariana, great to see you. Live from Chile, Santiago, yes. in the house. <laughs> Good to you, see you. Thank you, beautiful class. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you very much. Sending lots of love. Please give my best to everybody, to Alex and the, and the whole mishpacha. Yaakov, Lisa, Eva, Shana, Jeff. Yes. Go for it. All right. All right. So um, I was always wondering why we call Yaakov heel because um, uh, he was only grabbing someone else's heel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So was that, are we now learning that um, because he was grabbing somebody else's heel, he was grabbing a hold of the minor mitzvot? Yes. So that, that would be my angle on this, that by grabbing onto the heel, he was saying that what does it mean? To perfect yourself, it means down to the heel. And sometimes the, the, the Yaakov, the, the spiritual energy needs to go not just to the head. I'm inspired intellectually or emotionally, but I'm committed down to the heel. That's just grabbing the heel. It's symbolic of, of, of somebody who is committed, heart and soul, whether or not it's exciting, whether or not it makes sense. I'm committed, I'm committed down to the bottom. Exactly, yes. And sorry for not explicitly stating that, but you, you, gotta, you, you, you were reading my mind. Also, the heel is the first thing that touches the ground if you're walking correctly, and that would keep us on our path if we're, you know. Um, so, does that also tell us to listen to our? Bye, Waverly. Good to see you, Waverly. Yes, you know the Kohen Gadol, the high, the priests in the temple, they were not allowed to wear any footwear. Their feet had to be in direct contact with the ground. Um, and the message of that is this idea of 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 like seamless interface with the with the work that we're doing. And I think the closer we are to that experience, the more, we, the more we feel it and the more committed we can be. It's almost when we're detached, we're trying to play it a little too safe. 
and the sole of the, the sole of the foot is is that connected to the sole of the body? Because the body speaks, the soul speaks through the body. So are we also told to listen to our body versus our head? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all related. It's for sure all related. I mean, we are we are holistic beings. So there's no question that it's related. Um, yeah. Was, was Ishmael the oldest or the youngest? He was the older one. He was the older one. All right, we're going to close it out. Good to see you. Great to, great to learn together. Shavua Tov. See you guys. Hey, hey. How's it going? Okay. We were not disrupted by anything. No, that was, it was great. amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. But I want to give you kudos. I want to give you Joshua Kellogg for something that I was 